I want to start in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and I'm going to read a verse in verse 7. We're going to come back to this at the end, and so I just pray you keep your place marked here in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I'm just going to begin reading in verse 4, but it says, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Which God hath before ordained. That we should walk in them. God amazes me. He astounds me. His, his kindness is overwhelming. Um, especially in the face of my calloused heart and my oftentimes selfish demeanor that God is just kind. He's so kind. I want to focus on verse seven for a moment. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. The exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. And the grace is the superabundant ability of God to be kind the super abundant ability of God to be kind. Think about that. I mean, to me, it's, a, it's an amazing concept. It's an amazing thought that God is declaring about himself right here. But by the riches of his grace, that God will exert all of the riches of his grace, not just enough and not a little bit, but the inexhaustible measure of his grace. And there's no end to it. There's no boundary to God's grace. God is going to unleash his unfathomable grace to demonstrate his kindness to you. And he's going to do it in the ages to come as well as now. But it's really going to be profound in the ages to come. I think it's amazing what God is declaring here. It's, it's, it's the belief of what God's kindness can produce in my life. The kindness of God. Working by God's super abundant ability. To do something in my life. That is absolutely incredible and undeserving on my part. The word kindness there means usefulness, moral excellence, gentleness and goodness. God's usefulness. How useful is God? Just imagine that. He could do anything. He could do anything with you. He can do anything with me. He's going to do incredible things with us. We're going to be like Jesus when we see him. We're going to be instantly transformed and corruption is going to put on incorruption and mortality is going to put on immortality. God's usefulness, God's moral excellence, the gentleness of God, the goodness of God. All of these are aspects of God's kindness that he is going to abound to us by his supernatural abounding ability in our life to be kind to us. And I was thinking about that 
And my mind went to a few places in the Bible, and I wanted to share them with you. And so I'm going to go to a few scriptures, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd read with me in your Bibles these scriptures. The first place I'm going is Matthew chapter 1. And I want you to read this. I'm thinking about God's superabounding kindness, his goodness, his moral excellence. And God has proven himself to be so different and unique from us. Incredible patience and mercy, fresh and new every day, his grace. Matthew chapter 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. Some of the translations would put Judas, but it's Judah, and his brethren. When I read that phrase, I just think about the kindness of God. In the list of Jesus' genealogy, it's Judah. Judah, of all people. This guy. Not Joseph. Not Levi, not Reuben, but Judah. This is an amazing kindness of God. We would want to hide people like that from our genealogy. Some people don't even like to look up their genealogy out of fear of what they're going to find in it. And here's God, the author of this book, laying it out for the whole world to see. Jesus Christ, the son of Judah. Amazing. And his brethren. They don't even get mentioned. And there's certainly some brothers of Judah that were worthy to be mentioned. Other than this guy. And Judah begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. Are you kidding me? This is incredible. Judah's son, Perez. From Tamar, who's his daughter-in-law. This is incestual. This is about as bad as it gets. And God chooses that son. And, and this son, Phares, who had a brother named Zerah. What actually happens is when Tamar was giving birth to these twins, Zerah actually put forth his hand out of the womb and the, the handmaiden wrapped a scarlet thread around Zerah's finger or his hand. And then he pulled his hand back into the womb. And this other guy, Ferez, I don't know how this happens, but he, he, he somehow got in front of Zerah and came out first. And his name means to breach, to breach. And it's interesting because the definition of breach means the act of breaking or failing to observe a law or an agreement or a code of conduct. And it's so, so here's this, this newborn, this, this, this infant being birthed who breaches the code of conduct. You know, Zara's supposed to come first, but you breached that somehow. You, you found your way out before him. Perez is the son of Judah. 
the son of Tamar, who is Judah's daughter-in-law. And Pharaoh begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasson, and Nasson begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ. These names are shameful. The behavior of these people are wicked. Sinful by any stretch of the imagination. Why? Why, for example, would Solomon be in the lineage of Jesus? David had other wives that were, that were legitimate wives. Who gave birth to legitimate children. But Solomon is the product of a relationship that began in sin and murder, and conspiracy in order for David to have Bathsheba. And God chooses in his infinite wisdom to have Solomon in the lineage of Jesus Christ. These names are given, they're mentioned, and God boldly makes this declaration about them. But I'm, I'm kind of fixated for just a moment on Judah because this is the story of how Judah came into this relationship with Tamar. And it's very interesting. But she was married to one of Judah's sons. And the Bible says that he was very wicked. He did evil in God's sight. And the Bible says, and I think you need to hear this because some of us really misunderstand God. The Bible says that he was evil in his, and he was wicked. Therefore, God killed him. That's strong, isn't it? Somebody says, how can a good God... You take that up with God. All I know is he can. And God killed him. And so, because now she does not have any sons, Judah goes to his older son and he says, listen, your brother died. He did not produce a son. I want you to go to her and I want you to take her and I want you to have a son with her. But he knew that if I have a son with her, then this son is going to be the heir of all of my brothers and I'm not going to have anything. So he didn't do it. He did wickedly and God killed him. And so Judah basically says to her, he says, listen, I have another son. He's very young. He's too young right now to get married. When he's older, I'll give him to you because my other boys are dead. And a lot of theologians believe that Tamar had a hand in killing these other two men. And so Judah was a little bit cautious of her because she possibly had something to do with killing these sons. But the Bible says the Lord did it, not her. 
And so she is now living in Judah's house where he told her to live. And she's walking around and living in her widow's outfit, which identified her as a widow. She has no husband. She has no children. This, this was a curse on women in that day. And so she was promised this son that when he grew up and he was of age, that he would be able to be with her and marry her. But she recognized that he was now old enough to be wed, but Judah did not give him to her. And so she hears from some people that Judah has gone off with one of his friends to shear the sheep. They just went out into the, into the pastures and they're camping out and they're staying out there. And when she hears that Judah went out with his friend to shear the sheep, then she decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to dress up like a harlot. And so she took off all of her uh, widow's outfits and identification, and she put a veil on herself, and she dressed herself in the outfit of a harlot, and she went out to where the fields were that they were camping in, and she sat on the side of the road and portrayed herself as a harlot, and Judah comes by, and Judah wants to be with a woman, and he sees that she is a prostitute. So Judah makes an arrangement with her, I want to be with you. And she said, that's great. What are you going to give me? And Judah says, well, I don't have anything right now, but what I'll do is when I get back home, I will send you one of the lambs, one, of, one out of the flock. And she says, that's great, but you got to give me a token right now that payment will come. And so he said, okay, I will do this. I will give you my staff. I'll give you my bracelet and I'll give you my signet. And you hold on to these things. He doesn't know who she is. You hold on to these things until I can get home and then I'll send you the kid. And then when you receive that lamb, you give me back these, these articles that are my identification or my deposit, if you will. And so she agreed to it and she was with him and she got pregnant in an illicit relationship where Judah is paying for what he thinks is a prostitute. Not only is that going on, but the prostitute happens to be his daughter-in-law. And she's fully aware of what she's doing. And so she has a baby. She's pregnant. Before it is known that she's pregnant, Judah sends his servant back to that area and says, listen, go find that woman that I was with and get back my pieces of identification and give her this lamb. And so the servant goes to the place, but he can't find her anywhere. And so he asked around in the town, he said, where is the city prostitute? And they said, there is no one here like that. And so he goes back to Judah and he says to Judah, listen, I went there. I couldn't find her. She was nowhere to be found. I even asked around in the city to find out if anybody knew where she might be. And, and, and they said to me that there's no one there like that. And Judah said, well, let's just keep quiet lest we be shamed. And so in this meantime, while all of that was going on, Tamar began to show signs of her pregnancy. And Judah knew that this was his daughter-in-law and that he had not given his son to her yet. And so Judah, now when he finds out that she's pregnant, Judah says, bring her to me and let's burn her. What a guy. What a guy. But she had presence of mind 
And so when he brought her to him and he was ready to execute her and to burn her because of what she had done and accusing her and charging her of this, she just simply showed up with the identification. And she said, I'll tell you who the daddy is. And she went to Judah and she says, does this belong to you? And Judah could not deny it. Here's your signet. Here's your staff. Here's your bracelet, baby. (laughs) Right? And I think about, I think about the religious. I think about how cruel we are. I think about how unkind we are, how quick we are to judge, how quick we are to see the faults of other people. I'm talking about the kindness of God and how we begin to see something in somebody else's life that is sinful and shameful. And we like to bring that out and shame. Oh, stone them, curse them, kick them out, have nothing to do with them. That's an abominable person. And yet our sins might be just as great. The lusts that are in our hearts, the perversion that's in our flesh, and we try to hide it. We like to talk about other people's perversions, and we have the same perverted flesh as anybody else. But at least Judah had the presence of mind to say, spare her, she's more righteous than I am. At least he had the presence of mind to do that. But I think about how cruel humanity is. This guy's about to burn her. He was with a prostitute and he knew it, but he didn't know it was her. Now he finds out, my God, this is my daughter-in-law. This is, this is shameful. And he has to own it. And God says to Judah, my son Jesus is going to come from you. Not only is my son Jesus going to come from you, Judah, but my son Jesus is going to come from the loins of you and Tamar. And not only is my son going to come from the loins of you and Tamar, but my son is going to come from the one who breached the code of conduct. You don't act this way. You don't do these kinds of things. But I'm going to put them in the lineage of my son, Jesus Christ, along with Ruth, along with Rahab, along with Solomon. Why? So that I can give a declaration to all of humanity that if I can be born of them, I can be born in you. You're not too vile and you're not too evil for me to come into your life and show my kindness to you. Because that's the kindness of God. Another act of God's kindness is found, if you will, in in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, we find as Moses is leading the children of Israel out of their bondage in verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and he said to them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families. And kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop. And dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And strike the lintel. 
and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door. The Lord will hover as a shield of protection over your house, over your door, and will not allow the destroyer to come in unto your houses to kill you. And I see this as the absolute kindness of God. There are no questions asked. God's looking for one thing. He's looking for the blood. That's all he's looking for. There's no questions asked as to who is in the house. Not one question. The only thing that is demanded is this, that you must have the faith to believe that my judgment is serious. That there is a destroyer in the land. And I am giving you one means of protection and there is no other. You've got to take a lamb. Every man take a lamb. And that lamb is to be killed. And the blood from that lamb is to be placed upon the the top of your door and the doorpost of your door. And then you are to enter into that house and do not come out of the house until the morning. And when I pass through the land of Egypt tonight to kill the firstborn of every living thing, I am only looking for this. I'm looking for the blood. There might be liars in that house, murderers in that house, adulterers in that house, people who worshiped idols in that house. There might have been people who are the most horrific people that you could have ever imagined possible, mean people, abusive people, people who have molested, people who have done all types of things, broken people, hurting people, abused people, went into that house and believed in the promise of God that if this blood was over my house, God himself will pass over my house and rebuke the devil from touching me it's not that I deserve to escape it it's it's I'm as bad as the Egyptians I I worship the God the Egyptians worshiped I haven't been faithful to God I haven't been loyal to God I haven't been a great follower of God I have been true to this life of slavery and wondered where the God of our fathers were and sooner believe in the gods of Egypt as to believe in any other kind of God But something is going on in the land of Egypt that I cannot deny. God said that if we put this blood there and we go into this house, God would protect us. And I want you to understand, beloved, that Jesus Christ is our Passover. And the kindness of God is that God has made a way for us who are wretched sinners. God has made a way for us who could not clean ourselves up, who could not better ourselves. And God said to us, there is destruction in the land. There is a destroyer that is moving about. And I am going to protect people who flee to my son, Jesus Christ, and allow the blood of my son, Jesus, to cover them. And when you come to Jesus Christ, I will not ask any questions other than the fact that your repentance is that you're coming to him. You're turning from everything else. You're coming to put yourself into the life of Jesus Christ. And you're going to remain in him because of your faith. And the destruction is going to sweep across the world. But I'm going to protect you. And people have fled to Jesus from every walk of life. From such corruptions and abuse and molestations. And murder and evil and adulteries and fornications and addictions. 
And everyone that fled to Jesus Christ, praise God, the door was wide open to them. Everyone was welcomed in. No questions were asked. No questions about your past. No questions about your family line. No questions about how good you are, how bad you are, or if you're worthy, or if you're holy, or if you're righteous. No questions asked, whatever. But just the simple fact that you ran to Jesus Christ because you knew outside of him was death, but in him is life. And God let you in. God protected you. God watched over you. What a God. What kindness. What kindness to us. What if God had required that we cleaned ourselves up first? We made ourselves right. We made ourselves acceptable. That we did restitution for all of our crimes. Who could do that? But God did it. Through the blood of his son. And another act of kindness that... I was recalling when I was thinking about this is found in Genesis chapter 6. And I want you to read this. I want to bring you through this, this little testimony that is found through the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 11. The earth is filled with wickedness. There were giants in the land. There were strange things happening Between the sons of God and the daughters of men. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. His imaginations were horrific. His heart was evil continually. And the Bible says in verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. And then if you would notice in chapter 7, verse 23, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things. And the fowl of heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth. And only Noah remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark. Peter prophesies of this time of Noah's day. That Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And no doubt some people estimate 70, 80 years. While Noah was building the ark that he was. Preaching to the people what was coming. I believe it was God's will for men to repent and be saved. But nobody believed him. Nobody got in the ark but Noah and his family. And the Bible says in chapter 8. Verse 4. The ark rested in the seventh month. On the seventeenth day of the month. Upon the mountains of Ararat. The ark rested. And I say this to you because where the ark rested, so did Noah. What the ark went through, so did Noah. What the ark endured, so did Noah. What the ark survived, so did Noah. And when the ark found its resting place... So did Noah.
Wherever the ark was, Noah was. The ark was a means of deliverance from the judgment of God. Because God was very serious about the wickedness that was in the earth. If the wickedness that was in the earth in that day could stir the wrath of God to such a degree. Be aware, beloved, that Jesus also prophesied that as in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. And I don't believe that our day is much different or further apart from the days that Noah lived in. The wickedness, the imaginations of men that are evil continuously. The judgment of God that is sure to come as the New Testament prophesies the judgment of God that is going to come into the earth. I want to go to Matthew 24 and I want to read some of these things to you about the kindness of God. While you're turning there, I want you to understand that this ark represented deliverance. It was a place of safety while the world was being judged. The Bible says very pointedly that Moses was put into an ark. And God delivered baby Noah, our Moses, because his mother had built an ark and pitched it. And put him in the river. And he was spared from the death that all of the other Israeli boys were dying at the hands of the Pharaohs. The Bible calls the the Ark of the Covenant an ark. That God had Israel design this box. And inside the box was the testimony of the Lord. Was the law of God. Was the rod of Aaron that budded. Was the manna. That God fed them with which represented Jesus Christ. And on top of that box was laid that mercy seat. And God said this is where I will meet with men. And that box is called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was the place where men would be able to meet with God. In the book of Hebrews it says that all of these things are types and shadows of Jesus Christ. These arks of the Old Testament where men can flee to for safety because God in his kindness has prepared a place for us to escape his judgment is Jesus Christ. Going to church is not going to put you in Christ, but you have to come into him yourself and believe in his blood and take refuge in Jesus and Jesus will give you life and protection from judgment. In Matthew 24 verse 37 Jesus says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doeth come. It seems as though the lost in this world today are more aware of the end of the world than Christians are. Seems that they're more grappled with the fact of of trouble and tribulation and God and his judgment than even the believers that have the word of God to read and to understand and to believe. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 
As Peter continues this prophetic understanding of the ark, even the ark of Noah, and what this means to us in Jesus Christ, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it is declared by Peter, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer. Of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is gone into heaven. And is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And I wanted to discuss this with you. I wanted you to see this. Because Peter says that Jesus is our ark. And just as Noah was preparing an ark to save his family from the destruction that was coming up on the world, God has prepared for us an ark that is Jesus Christ. But you have to come to him. You have to put your faith in him. There were multitudes of people that stood around in Noah's day as the waters from the deep were beginning to break up and penetrating the waters that were in the firmament above the earth. And as these waters began to fall upon the earth, no doubt there were people that would beat upon Noah's ark and ask Noah to let them in. But Noah said to the people, God has shut the door and I cannot open it. Certainly when that judgment of God began to come, that there were multitudes of people who wanted to escape the death that was now occurring on the earth. I think a phenomenal thing is discussed in Revelation chapter 6 which is the beginning of the tribulation period. It is early on into the judgments of the world. A world of judgment that the Bible says it has never seen before and it will never see again. The judgments of this tribulation are so horrific. But in Revelation chapter 6, the Bible says that the kings of the earth and the mighty men and the princes of the earth and the noblemen and the bond and the free and the slaves, they are all crying to be hid from the wrath of God and of the Lamb. No doubt when Noah was building that ark and for 70 or 80 years, he was warning the people that judgment is coming. They didn't even know what rain was. But Noah was telling the people judgment is coming. This is the kindness of God to warn men. Judgment is coming and they mocked Noah. And they called Noah a fool for building an ark in a world that doesn't even know what rain is. But Noah said the rain is coming and the flesh will die upon the earth and all people will die on the earth if we don't take refuge in God. In this ark that I'm building, that God told him to build. And they watched him build that ark. And no doubt they would come out and mock him and tease him as he would build that ark. This preacher of righteousness. But nobody believed him. Nobody took him seriously. Until the day that they went into the ark and God closed the door and the rains began to beat upon it seven days later. I believe in the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. 
Beware, brother, for no one knows that day or that hour. Be careful, for your Lord will come in an hour when you are not expecting him. Two will be in the field, one taken, one left. Two women will be grinding, one taken, one left. Two will be laying in a bed, one taken, one left. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Jesus Christ said that the trumpet of God will sound and those that are in the, in the graves that believed in Jesus and they're dead, they will be brought up out of their graves and they will put on immortality and incorruption. And then those who are alive and remain, when they are going up, we will be instantly changed and we will be caught up together in the clouds with Jesus Christ and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't believe the church has taken over the world. I believe Jesus Christ has taken over the world when he comes back with his church. I believe that there's going to be a rapture. I believe after that rapture, there's going to be a tribulation period that is so severe and so devastating. Even demons in the pits of hell, the Bible says, are going to be released from their pits when a meteorite strikes this earth. It is going to be horrific. The waters of the earth are going to be poisoned and men are going to burn on the earth just like the environmentalists are warning us about. I believe in it. I believe after the rapture will come the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ will return with his church and he will establish his kingdom and his rule upon the earth from the throne of David. He will rule the nations with an iron rod. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. I believe in the twinkling of an eye we shall be changed. But what if it's a little bit different than we think? We're trying to figure it out. What's the world going to say when the church is suddenly gone? I know it's UFOs and it's aliens And it's this, they came and they snatched us all away because we were the hindrance of whatever the world wants to do. What if Jesus comes in the clouds and he just appears there for maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, And all of the cameras and the television networks and the people on their phones are streaming this phenomena in the heavens. And everybody in the world begins to see every eye beholds him and sees him appearing in the clouds. And it's just there for maybe a few minutes and everybody sees it. And then all of a sudden the shout of God, the voice of God, the trumpet of God sounds. And instantly the dead are raised. And instantly in the twinkling of an eye, the church is gone. Because God doesn't want anybody to wonder where we went. He wants you to know where we went. We were in the ark. And the ark rested in Mount Zion. And that's where we are. In the heavenly Jerusalem. Resting with Christ in our resting place. Because we were with him in his suffering. We were with him in his cross. We were with him in the grave. And we were with him in his resurrection. And we will be with him in his glory. And where he is, we are. And maybe that's why in Revelation chapter 6, the kings of the earth are not terrified of UFOs and aliens. 
Maybe that's why in Revelation chapter 6, everybody in the world knows what's going on. This is the wrath of God and of the Lamb. And the church got out of here just like they told us and just like Noah told his world. And now we're left here to deal with the judgment of God. And the kindness of God is to give you the opportunity to come into the ark. To allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cover you. That in the ages to come, God might demonstrate through his super abundant grace to show you his kindness, his moral goodness of how useful and blessed and elevated you can be with the Lord. Beloved, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and it's never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. And the absolute hope and certainty that Jesus Christ has offered to us, world without end. It, to me, it's summed up in a prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, I pray for them. That they will be with me. That they may see me in my glory. That they will see how much you love me. And how much you love them. I want them to be with me. I want them to look at it. I want them to live in it. And beloved, that's what Jesus wants for you. We don't deserve it. We were enemies of God. We hated him, but he loved us. We were sinners and he was holy. But he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Flee to Christ. Turn to Jesus. I'm not asking you to better yourself. I'm not asking you to save yourself. I'm not asking you to change yourself. I'm not asking you to make yourself holy or make yourself righteous. I'm telling you this, that the kindness of God is that he would love you. He would give you love. He would give you redemption. He would give you refuge. He would give you a savior. He would forgive you of your sins. He will let anybody in that comes. He will not reject anybody. It doesn't matter your past or what you've been through. He just wants you to come. And if you come to him through Jesus Christ, God says, yes, amen. You can come in. I will save you. Would you stand with me? In the ages to come. In the ages to come. God, I want to be there. I want to be there, God. I don't want to be a foolish person like the world was in the days of Noah. God, I want to exercise faith in the sure word of Jesus Christ. The prophecies of Peter that Jesus is my ark. And I want to be in you. I want to be soundly in you. I, I depend, and you can just begin to pray this too, but I depend upon your blood to keep me safe, to forgive my sins, to redeem and atone for my life. I have no hope but you. 
I thank you, God, that you have a disposition to be kind to me. And there's some of you, you've trusted in Jesus, but you just feel as though God is an angry person with you. That you never do quite right. You never quite measure up. But look what he did for Judah. Look what he did for Solomon. Look what he did for Tamar. Look what he did for these that were so unworthy that Jesus could be born of them. And you could be born of Christ. This is the kindness of God to take the ruined lives, the wrecked lives, the mistakes, the sins, the rebellions, the gross things that humanity will not forgive you for. And men say, burn them. Burn them. They're abominable. They're wicked. They're evil. And God says, no. I am rich in grace. And I will reveal my kindness to them. And I will transform their future, not based on their past, but based on my kindness. How many of you would say this morning that I need God to be kind to me? That I want the grace of God to be at work in me, transforming the things in my life that I have messed up. How many of you say that? Even as a Christian, man, I've just really, just really messed some things up. I've messed some people's lives up. I've, I've messed things up in my own life. I feel like I've done things that have just wrecked God's future for me. Oh, but the kindness of God. The grace of God. How many of you just ask God, let your grace go to work in my life. I trust you to be kind to me, God. I trust your moral goodness to be able to do something with me that is beautiful to you. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're like the crowd in Noah's day. You just, for some reason, you're here. You're not a believer. You don't take this stuff seriously just a bunch of words to you. You mock like they mocked in Noah's day. You don't believe it. Perhaps the Holy Spirit's just pulling at your heart. Because something deep inside of you tells you it's true. It's worth considering. It's at least worth considering. Would you sit before the Lord and would you ask the Lord to show you the truth show you Jesus show you that God makes a way of salvation for you he will not reject you or cast you out he will love and forgive you Father we come to you this morning the altars are open if you need the kindness of God at work in your life giving you a purpose and a future you think you've wrecked it and destroyed it. That's the lie of the devil. The kindness of God can transform, make something new, do something beautiful in relationships and friendships and homes and families and ministry. Right now, Satan is attacking people and families and just trying to wreck their life. Satan is evil and unkind. But Jesus is kind. 
He's gentle. He's good. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to destroy you. He's not going to devastate you. He's going to save you. He's going to love you. He's going to deliver you.